You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. If someone in your life is trying to make you feel guilty all the time, it couldn't be emotional abuse, could it? Visit loveandabuse.com and download the Mean Workbook to find out if you're in an emotionally abusive relationship. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old, rehashed, personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. My name is Paul Coliani, and this is the show where I help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I had trouble coming up with a um, good topic to talk about today. In fact, uh, one of my writer's block methods or podcaster's block methods is to get on the microphone and talk about anything until something comes to mind. Like right now, I could talk about anything until something comes to mind. But it's not just a matter of spitting it all out there and seeing what lands. It's a matter of making those neurological connections that when you start talking about something, that you'll eventually hit on something that's important. This sounds like something that you could just go on and on and on talking about nothing until you get to something important. This isn't one of those shows. It's just a thought that I had. It's just uh, something that crossed my mind. Sort of like I was talking to a friend last night. Um, Was it last night? I forget. The idea behind writing a blog article. I said, you know, When you're writing a blog article and you can't think of what to write, just write anything. In fact, just write something that is going on in the present moment. Just write the fact that you can't think of anything. Just write the idea that you feel stupid that you can't think of anything, if that comes to mind. Even writing that you can't think of anything. Like, here I am sitting here, I can't think of anything. You'll eventually get into a feeling. You'll eventually get into an emotion. Like, I'm sitting here typing nothing. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to write about. I feel kind of stupid. I remember when I felt stupid uh, a few years ago when I did such and such to so and so. You'll start getting into a story that is in your past. And once you connect with that story, you're going to connect with a story. You're going to connect with something meaningful, something that has value. Not only to you, but to other people. Because when you put yourself out there and you share your story, you express yourself, other people can relate. And I think that's an important component to understand about uh, one of the segments for today's episode, which is about humiliation and embarrassment. Is that we put ourselves out there thinking that we're isolated, we're alone, we're the only one who feels this way. And so when something embarrassing or humiliating happens to us, we feel alone. We feel like people are looking at us, are judging us, maybe even laughing at us or criticizing us. We have all these thoughts and feelings that we go through 
because we are now the center of attention. We're on stage. The spotlight is on us. This is why it's important to express yourself in different ways. That's not the only reason. I think this is an important component of going through life, knowing that you're not alone in the way you feel, in the way you think. In fact, there's something I experienced probably about eight years ago. I was in San Diego. I'm not sure of the timeline here, but I was in San Diego at one point. I was married and we went to an aquarium and I was looking in at the fish and the lobsters and all the other exotic creatures in there. And it's fascinating. It's amazing to me. And I made some joke about some fish and I thought it was so unique and funny. I don't know if she laughed or not, uh, my wife, but um, I made some joke and I laughed. I make myself laugh. And um, then we left that tank and we went to another one. And in the background, I could hear people at that same tank. And I heard a guy make the same joke. And suddenly I felt small. (laughs) Suddenly I felt not unique, not important, not significant, and especially not funny. Because if somebody else thought of it, oh, then I must not be funny because everyone thinks like that. You know, that was my thought process back then. But um, it really highlighted something for me. And I started paying attention. I mean, what it highlighted was that maybe my thoughts aren't that unique. Maybe I'm not so special. Maybe none of us are. (laughs) It sounds depressing when I say that. But I think there's something to that that helps me get out of my own head when things aren't so great. When there's an embarrassing situation, when there's a a humiliating situation, when there's a a judgmental situation or somebody criticizing, all of these events that can happen in our life, we feel so alone and isolated. But in reality, we are part of the bigger ecosystem of people that are experiencing and thinking in very similar ways. I do believe we are all unique. I know we are. But at the same time, a lot of us are exposed to the same type of culture. There's cultures out there. So when we're in similar cultures, we can relate on that level. So we have different cultural references. We have different media references. But a lot of them are similar. We're exposed to a lot of of similar things. Just like if you met other listeners of The Overwhelmed Brain, and you listen to a lot of episodes, and they listen to a lot of episodes... Some of the jokes, some of the things that you come up with, some of your one-liners, some of your quips, some of your stories are going to be very similar to theirs. And you're going to feel like you're not so alone in this personal growth journey because you met someone else who's like-minded and is learning very similar things. Well, I mean, the message is the same for everyone. It's just that other people take it in different ways and comparing it to what they've gone through in their life and applying it in different ways. And not just my show, but you you find people that have a similar exposure to things. And even when you don't, even when you don't find someone that has similar exposure and they're, they're exposed to other things in other ways, you often find similarities that um, make you feel not so alone, make you feel not so isolated from the world. This can be a very helpful thing. I'm telling you what, if you don't feel special, if you don't feel like you're one of a kind... If you don't feel any of this stuff, that's a good thing. (laughs) You are one of a kind. You are special. There's no doubt about that in my mind. 
There's no other me and there's no other you. But it can be a very good thing to know you're not special. <laughs> Again, it sounds a little strange saying it that way, but let's think about this situation. If you're, like I saw a video of this guy in, I think it was in a business suit. He was dressed well. And the video was outside the building with him coming toward the front door of the building, which was all glass. You already know where this is going. He's carrying four coffees and yeah, he's just kind of in a hurry, but he's walking through the building toward the front door. And I think he ended up going into the glass instead of the door because all you see is coffee and, and whatever other beverage was there splashing on the glass and getting all over him. And, you know, we could look at that and some of us might laugh. Some of us might go, oh my God, if that happened to me, I'd be so embarrassed. Well, probably all of us would say that, a lot of us. And some of us would be like, that poor guy. And it depends on where, you're, where you come from, how you were raised, what you were taught. But I might be one of all three there. I might laugh. I might say that poor guy. And I might say, I'm glad that's not me. If that was me, I'd be so embarrassed. I might do all three. However, it's not that I look at the guy and think, what an idiot. It's not that at all. It's a situation that is so outrageous in my mind where, oh, geez, you know, I'm all dressed up. And the worst thing that could happen is I have coffee and other things spilled all over me. Now I got to go back to the office. Now I got to clean it up. To me, it's just so outlandish, outrageous that it's laughable. And when it's laughable, you don't want to be the one laughed at. I get that. But at the same time, you might be the one that laughs. So what does that say? Does that say you're a bad person? Does that say I'm a bad person? No. It just means that we try it on. I mean, that'd be, that, that'll be one of the things we do. We try it on. Oh my God, if that was me. And maybe the laughter has something to do with, thank God, that's not me. <laughs> maybe the laughter is you see someone do that and you think to yourself, Oh, if that was me, what would that be like? I'm so glad that's not me. And there's some relief that comes from that. And that relief might contain laughter. This is one opinion. I might, I might not be 100% on here, but the idea behind feeling embarrassed or humiliated is knowing that other people are probably going to do what you do. In other words, if you saw that happen, you might laugh. You might feel sorry. You might feel embarrassed for the guy. You might have some sympathy. You might have some empathy. But you know that guy's in the spotlight, and you, for that moment, will probably feel like you're in the spotlight too. But unless you're just a cruel person, you're probably not the type of person to say, that guy deserved it. What a jerk. That comes from someone who might have some anger issues or something else that they're dealing with, and it makes them feel good to see someone else in some sort of pain or embarrassment. So they might say something like that. That can and does happen. But for the most part, most people can relate. Most people can relate. This is, you know, what I'm talking about anxiety. Most people can relate. When you walk into a room and you feel like you're the only one experiencing anxiety, you're not. Most people can relate. In fact, a lot of people feel uncomfortable in a room full of strangers or a room full of some strangers and some friends and or just any room full of anyone. 
Some people have that social anxiety stuff. So you walk in and what do you do with this feeling? Well, first of all, I want you to know that you're not alone. You are walking into a room full of people that feel like you. Can I honestly say that that that's true all the time? Probably not. I mean, if you walk into a room full of bodybuilders who feel great about their body and you have this scrawny one or this overweight one and you're very aware of it and you don't like it and you see them, you're suddenly going to feel small and really alone in this, this area. And hopefully they're a bunch of nice people men and women, that are going to treat you nicely and not say a word or not think a word, not think anything. You know, and you know, some bodybuilders are self-aware of them, but not necessarily thinking about you anyway. And I'm not putting anyone down here. There's all kinds of people out there. I'm just saying that when we walk into a room and we feel alone, we feel isolated, we feel like the only person wearing clothes at a nude beach. (laughs) When you're in that space... Uh, It is normal to feel that humiliation or embarrassment or that spotlight, that judgment, that criticism that we're making up in our head that we think other people are telling us. And because it's normal and because you're not alone, it's rare that you're actually alone in that feeling because believe me, I've met, and I'm just using bodybuilders as an example, I've met people that have worked on their bodies and were still insecure about their bodies. It just happens. There's insecurities for many, many reasons. But when you walk into a room and you feel that feeling that everyone's eyes are on you, guess what? They feel that too. Maybe at least 90% of the room feels it. I hope they're not looking at me. Are they looking at my hair? Are they looking at my shoes? Are they looking at my body? Are they laughing because of something I said or the way I talk? A lot of us do this. 90% of us have some sort of thought about some sort of judgment that comes at us. And if you're not in that 90%, then I am 10% right. (laughs) But I see this over and over again. I still experience this, and I work on this stuff all the time. I talk about it week after week after week. I have been working on this stuff for years. My insecurity issues come up. They're not major. I've worked on them a lot. I've healed from a lot. But um, I had an episode a year or two ago, I think it was about two years, where I talked about my insecurity and and the way my body is shaped and the way I don't like it. And uh, I've never really talked about that ever. I've never talked about that on the air. I've never told anyone. I never wanted anyone to know about my insecurities. Because if they know about my insecurities, they'll think badly of me. They'll judge me. They won't want to be around me. That was my inner dialogue. That's usually our inner dialogue. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be criticized. I don't want this. I don't want I don't want people to think I'm stupid. I don't want people to think I'm ugly. I don't want to reaffirm things I already think about myself. You know what happened when I shared that uh, all my insecurities, and you're going to have to look it up. I'm not going to say it again here, <laughs> what I talked about then. But there's an episode on insecurities. You can go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and type in the word insecurity. It should pop right up. Uh, but there's an episode I talked about uh, body image and how I felt about my own body. And... You know what happened when I did that? I didn't get judged. I didn't get ridiculed. I didn't get I didn't get people writing to me saying, "Oh my god, now that I know that about you, I'll never listen to you again." I didn't get any of that, and all I got was support. Now you might think, "Well, yeah, but you're a personality on the air and people admire you and they look up to you and they listen to you." No, there are some people that listen to me for the first time even now. 
that don't know anything about me. I haven't built any kind of rapport with them. I haven't built any trust with them. They're listening to me for the first time and they're wondering who is this guy and why is he saying all this stuff? That's weird. <laughs> or, you know, that's pretty vulnerable or uh, whatever they're saying. They might have their own thoughts about it. Some people don't like me. Some people tune out. But some people will look me up and go, who is this guy and why is he talking about his insecurities? I can almost guarantee you that even the people that tune into me for the first time and hear that episode and hear me talking about my insecurities are developing compassion for me. Now, I don't know that everyone feels that way. Some people may tune out and go, this guy's ridiculous or whatever. But the feedback I got from that episode was amazing. It was, it was powerful because other people with insecurities were able to work through their own stuff get through their own stuff. Like I had a kid write to me and say, I, I can't go on this class trip with my, my classmates. I, I can't do it. I'm so embarrassed about my body. I'm going to say no. And that was what kind of inspired me to do that episode. And he wrote back and he said, you know what? After that episode, I was so inspired. I, I felt so good that I decided to go on the class trip and I had the best time of my life. That's what I love. I love being able to do that by sharing and expressing who I am and my vulnerabilities and my insecurities, the places I lack confidence and the things inside myself I need to work on, all of these characteristics and personality traits and quirks about me that anyone could use against me, but I have proven to myself over and over and over again that the more vulnerabilities I share on the air with the world to the planet, the more support I get. Now, this is an interesting phenomenon because we walk around trying to hide these things from other people. I don't want them to know I'm weak. I don't want them to find out that I have this issue. I don't want this. I don't, I don't want, I want to hide all this stuff. And so we put on this false front you know, some of us do. I'm not talking about everyone, but a lot of us go through life putting on this false front. Hey, my Facebook page says I have a great life, but inside I'm hurting. Inside I'm in pain. Inside here, I have problems that I don't want anyone to know about. I have fears. I have vulnerabilities. Because if they know about it, I know I'll get pummeled. I'll get uh, judged. I'll get criticized. It hardly ever works that way. I don't want to say never, but it hardly ever works that way. And what do you do? You test it. You share vulnerabilities. You share your insecurities. With anxiety, I like to walk into a room when I feel anxious and tell people I feel anxious. And then I'll get so much support by telling them where I am that I develop connections. I develop friendships. I can have good conversations because I broke the ice instead of walking in with a facade and trying to hide behind a mask that I wanted the world to see. So even now as I'm talking, there's little insecurities in me that, what if I run out of things to say? <laughs> I think somebody asked me that last night. You just keep talking and talking? I said, well, no, every now and then I'll pause and I'll have to delete the pause from the final recording because no one wants to sit here listening to a pause for 20, 30 seconds, two minutes. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's long because I want to say the right thing in the right way sometimes, but Normally, I just keep talking as long as I think there's value in what I'm saying and it's helpful to people. I, I don't want to say anything that's not helpful to you. 
which is why uh, sometimes I will listen to a segment and I will ask myself, is this me just rambling? Is this me just liking me hear myself talk? I, I have to keep myself in check. I think that's a good thing for everyone to do is keep yourself in check, but don't put yourself down. Don't put yourself in a space where you think you're bad. You think you're, I'm going to use some adjectives here, ugly, small, big, tall, short, fat, stupid, (laughs) too smart, too nerdy. Think of all the names that you've called yourself and remember that 90% of us, and I'm just making this number up off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that there's a large percentage of us that have these inner thoughts go through our minds and we tell ourselves how bad we are in some way. I'm ugly. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. And guess what? If you think you're too short, I think I'm too tall. What? You're too tall? No way. I would love to be your height. Really? I would love to be shorter. (laughs) That kind of conversation would happen if we all allowed ourselves to be vulnerable in front of others. Yeah, but if I'm vulnerable, that's going to expose me to the world. That's what I do. This is what I've experimented with for five years now, putting myself out there and waiting for the feedback, waiting for the criticisms, waiting for the hurtful comments. It never happens. I put myself out there. It doesn't happen. Now, what does happen every now and then is someone will write a critical review of my show or a critical review of my teachings. Uh, I talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, You should be ashamed of yourself. I can't believe there are people out there like you that call themselves a life coach, which I don't, but that's the term she used. And, you know, that letter stuck in my mind. Fortunately, it wasn't an emotional spear that stuck in my heart that I'm holding on to, but it makes a great conversation because it's a good example of how someone can be so judgmental and critical and even say hurtful things to you that when you become more confident and more secure and realize how worthy you really are and how lovable you really are and how amazing you really are, that those kinds of comments hurt less and less and less until they don't hurt at all. You can get to that point. You don't walk around always feeling like someone's judging you and that judging hurts. I walk around knowing that people judge me and not caring. (laughs) I don't mean not caring, but I know that people's judgments come from their own upbringing, from their own references, from their own self-talk, from their own negative inner dialogue. People judge people because they're afraid to point the finger at themselves and work on themselves, so they want to spend time judging others. And that's their issue. That's their stuff. It doesn't mean what they judge or what they witness about me might have some validity. There are messages that I get sometimes, very few, that um, highlight things that I should change or work on. Like I remember getting a message saying, you know what? All those stupid comedy skits that you put in your show just detract from what you're teaching. Man, you could be so much bigger. And I'm thinking, and this was like, Back in 2013, 2014, when I had a different show, I had the same similar teachings, but a, a different format of the show, where I would include um, educational but comedic audio bits in the show. And um, 
Somebody said, you know, those are funny and all, but they just detract from what you're doing. And it just it doesn't resonate with me. And it hit me. That was the, the spear in the heart. It hit me because, wow, I put so much effort into those shows. I put so much effort into those skits. And I put a lot of thought and time and energy into those skits. So it really hurts to hear somebody say that. And so there's some healing I need to do around that and some understanding of my self-worth and self-love and self-compassion and make sure that I'm in alignment with all that stuff. Wait a minute, am I really in alignment? Because what am I doing? I'm putting myself out there for the public to hear. Of course I'm going to get these opinions because everyone has a different opinion. Most people do. They have differing opinions. And so they're going to share them with you when they're unhappy or when they would rather see or hear something else. They're going to share it with you. And uh, hopefully it's constructive. And his opinion was constructive. And it made me realize that perhaps there might be some validity to that. So maybe I should evolve my show a little bit. And that did help. It wasn't like the next day I changed things. But you use these opportunities to verify or validate what somebody else is saying about you. Constructive criticism, um, judgments, and other things that may feel hurtful at first. But if you can step outside yourself and look at what they've said or just look at the facts and pick out the nasty adjectives they might use or the ugly words that they could have worded differently. They could have used different words. And just look at the facts. Okay, is that person right? Should I make a change there? Is that something that really resonates with me? Or am I just really uh, hurt right now and I'm in that space and making that change would make that person feel better but not necessarily resolve the problem or I'm more worried about being liked than anything else. Because if that's the case, if you're more worried about being liked, you're probably going to make decisions that aren't necessarily beneficial to you, that aren't necessarily in alignment with who you really want to be. Because if you go around trying to please others, that's when that old people pleaser comes up, then what you end up doing is being a detriment to yourself. You create a deficit in you your happiness wanes while you're trying to make everyone else happy. And I've learned doing this show, I've learned being a coach, that the less I try to make someone happy, the happier they become. Because they find autonomous thinking. They find a way to accomplish things without my assistance hand-holding all the way. That doesn't mean I do that for everyone. It just means that sometimes we go around people-pleasing people Um, to their detriment, not only to ours, but to their detriment so that they can't necessarily find a path to succeed in their own endeavors. And when we do that, when we take that away from them by doing things for them, then they become dependent on us and they become unhappy because now we're the ones who are accomplishing their endeavors and not them. On and on and on. I could go many different directions with what I'm speaking about now, but I'm going to bring it right back because we're about to go into the next segment um, where I'm going to share a part of an email with you regarding humiliation and embarrassment and constructive and hurtful criticism and um, maybe some of the things that you can do when it happens. But I really wanted to emphasize, uh, bringing it full circle here, that you're not alone. And it's helpful to know that if you are the person that's carrying beverages for your friend and you walk into a glass door and you get it all over you, it's helpful to know that other people, 90%, in my opinion, 90% of the people out there, even when they laugh, are empathetic. 
And when they feel like you, that makes you realize that you're not alone and there's no reason to put yourself down for what happened. There's no reason, even though we all do it, we're going to get embarrassed. It's going to be humiliating. There are circumstances that are going to be embarrassing and we're just going to have to go through them. But knowing that it could happen to anyone and that we try it on when we see somebody else go through it, it's sort of like we're all experiencing it at the same time, which means you're not special. (laughs) So take that with you, but don't take it personally. We'll be right back. mentioned last week that the podcast Love and Abuse is on the way. It is on my mind every single day. I get a lot of emails regarding abusive relationships, um, emotionally abusive relationships. Not, fortunately, I don't get a lot of emails of physical, physically abusive relationships. But um, as you may know, emotional abuse can sometimes last a lifetime. The physical abuse, the bruises go away, but the emotional aspect of physical abuse or just emotional abuse by itself can last a lifetime for some people. And so there's that aspect of emotional abuse, but there's also emotional abuse in uh, working relationships, in friendships, in family, definitely. (laughs) There's a lot of emotional abuse in family. And it really, really shocked me a few weeks ago when I looked up therapists who who specialize in emotional abuse. It shocked me because there weren't that many. There weren't that many that talked about it. Um, There were some therapists that talked about narcissism and getting out of those types of toxic relationships, which is very similar. So when you hear a narcissistic relationship or narcissistic abuse, it's right in alignment with emotional abuse and it's right up there. But there's a lot of emotional abuse out there that we don't even know is emotional abuse. That's why it's so insidious. We get into a relationship with someone and again it doesn't have to be romantic it could be any type of relationship where they do things and say things in a way that uh, cause us to feel bad and cause us to feel bad about ourselves we feel guilty we feel like we're not doing enough we felt like we did something wrong because they set it up in a way to make us feel that way so that they have some power or control over us and that's scary especially when you don't know what's happening it's the The water continues to get warmer and warmer and eventually boils and you don't even realize you're in this boiling water. And uh, some of us don't jump out. Some of us keep getting burned, not realizing there's some sort of covert behavior under the radar that is not detected. And that's why I created the Mean Workbook to help you assess exactly what that behavior is so you do know, so that you understand what's happening in your relationship or in a relationship that you're in where there may be emotional abuse taking place. So anyway, I mentioned the podcast. It's on the way. Love and Abuse will be the name of the podcast. I'll let you know as soon as uh, it happens. And it is the official podcast of The Mean Workbook over at loveandabuse.com. So getting The Mean Workbook uh, helps you assess your relationship and all the resources that come with The Mean Workbook, including the audio interviews. It's like uh, three bonus audio interviews with emotional abuse, either experts or survivors, and um, also some extra audios that help you understand it, get through it, and heal from it. 
uh, along with a, a plethora of resources and terminology and um, other people that I want you to visit their websites and their books. Lots of really, really good resources in there that I personally recommend. So if you're experiencing anything remotely close to what you think might be emotional abuse or verbal abuse or manipulation, head over to loveandabuse.com, check out the Mean Workbook, and um, look for updates on the podcast coming real soon. Welcome back. I'm going to read you a quick email from someone I'm going to call Karen. Karen says, uh, your podcast has really helped me in a personal in my personal life and the way I deal with things. So thank you for that. You're welcome, Karen. With saying that, it has made me reflect on my own life and my own struggles. My problem is I often feel in my personal and work life, whenever I'm being criticized or I've made a mistake or something is slightly embarrassing, I feel completely humiliated. It's so bad that I have a pounding heart with anxiety the rest of the day. As much as I know it's not a big deal and it's okay to take criticism or have someone not like me and that I don't need to be perfect, my subconscious mind goes into panic mode. I think this connects to my childhood where my parents were loving and warm but quite strict. When I was in trouble and I got punished, the punishment was often in public around friends and family or with total strangers. The punishment was usually something embarrassing and humiliating and always left me feeling horrible. I was a good child, so it was usually small things that I did that led to big, humiliating punishments. I know it was meant to teach me a lesson, but now I feel like it's affecting my life as an adult. I would love to hear your opinion and suggestions on how to leave my old ways behind. Thanks for taking the time to read. Well, thank you, Karen. And uh, you wrote this quite a, a long time ago. It, it's been in my inbox for a while, but it's a great subject. It's what they call evergreen. Evergreen means it never gets old. It never expires. Evergreen is a subject that I can talk about today and it will still be relevant 50 years from now because people deal with this all the time. In the last segment, I talked about embarrassing situations and humiliation and some of the things I feel about that. Uh, I think it's good to reiterate that you're not alone. And even when you are embarrassed in front of others, you're going to experience compassion and empathy from others. You just won't feel it because you'll be in your stuff. You'll be in your emotional trigger. You'll be in that uh, fear-based state that you said probably stems from childhood when you were being humiliated and embarrassed in front of others. That's a good lesson. I mean, if parents are out there, I'm sure there are listening right now. Do you shame your kid publicly? And what will that lead to when they're an adult? This is one of those paths. It could lead to the adult now experiencing things in public and having anxiety the rest of the day, like you are, Karen. And that's not fun. That's not fun at all. At the same time, I'm sure as a parent, it's probably easier sometimes to publicly humiliate your kids so that they stop doing what they're doing. So I'm not here to judge any type of discipline or punishment or anything like that. We just have to be careful how we raise our kids because sometimes they grow up and they need therapy. <laughs> just the things we have to do when we're adults. We have to figure out how to do it right. And, um, you know, as a kid growing up in an alcoholic household and learning all these people-pleasing ways, I needed therapy too. I needed to go through it. I don't really think you get out of childhood, even when you have the most perfect childhood, without needing someone else to talk to it at some step of the way. 
It would be great to say we all had perfect parents, but shows like this usually don't attract people with perfect parents. Uh, but sometimes they are. Sometimes we look at our parents and, the, and we think, oh, they're perfect. They didn't do anything wrong. I just have these issues. I would say that's true. A lot of our parents don't do anything wrong. They just do the best they can. And sometimes their best isn't what we need. So it just depends. That could be another subject for another day. But um, let's get back to Karen's email where she uh, is experiencing humiliation. I think, you know, I wrote down a few things here uh, that we could talk about. Um, but I think, like I said earlier, one of the first things is to know that when you experience that, that other people in the room they really do have a lot of empathy and compassion, unless they really just hate you. I mean, if you're in an environment where people don't like you or have something against you, then you'll probably experience authentic judgment and ridicule and whatever they want to you know, do to make you feel bad. But when you're in an environment where people actually like you, they respect you, they, they want you to be happy, then one person embarrassing you, you're not going to be alone. They're going to feel compassion for you, believe me. That's why I say that we're not alone because most people are kind and some people are jerks and those are the ones that are trying to make us feel bad. So let me just um, go through my little list here and let's see if we can get through this. I, first thing is, yes, you're not alone. You're not special. <laughs> it feels like you are in the spotlight, but in reality, we're kind of all experiencing the same thing you're experiencing because we try it on too. So that kind of takes you out of yourself. Um, one of the tricks I like to do is stepping out of my, my body. And this is a visual, of course, but I imagine that I'm over there and that person over there is experiencing the humiliation and the embarrassment. And when I step out and I can watch this person from afar, watch that me over there, that's called dissociation. I can dissociate from myself, see me over there experiencing it. And then I can have my own thoughts about what's happening over there. Now, if I'm still embarrassed and humiliated, I step out of that version of me. And now I can watch a secondary version of me watching that first version of me. So it can get quite expansive in your dissociation. But that's a neat little technique. And uh, it, it can work wonders sometimes. Sometimes you can remove yourself and stand so far back that you're just a tiny little dot way over there. And when you can put yourself in that space, then that person over there might be experiencing something, but you're not. It sounds a little confusing when I talk like that, but that's good. If you're confused and you're not embarrassed, maybe that's a step in the right direction. Another thing to remember is there are two types of criticism, or at least the ones I'm addressing today. Constructive criticism and hurtful criticism. When you have constructive criticism, that can be also hurtful. It can hurt to hear someone criticize whatever you've worked on, your efforts. And uh, at the same time, that's when you break it down and go, okay, let me hear the facts here. They said this about my work and they said it in a mean way. However, is it true? Let's be real here. Let's find, figure out if it's true. Constructive criticism, I highly recommend you seek out and ask for. If you uh, have friends and you ask them, how do I look in this outfit? You want constructive criticism. It may be hard to hear, but a really good friend that you ask, to be honest, will say, you know, eh, that doesn't look so good. And it's great because now you know the people that you are going to impress, that you want to impress, will be more impressed because your friend's being honest. Or in a work situation, you seek out someone's constructive criticism. I want constructive criticism. I don't like it, <laughs> but I want it. I don't like knowing that all the time and energy I just put into something is now being criticized, is now being picked apart. But I listen 
and I gain something from it every time. And it doesn't mean the person who's saying it is right. It just means that's their perspective. That's their opinion. It could be their professional opinion. It still doesn't mean they're right. It just means they have an opinion on it uh, or they notice something that I didn't and maybe I should. And now I can take that with me. I think it's important to start taking uh, constructive criticism and actually seeking it out. Be honest with me. I don't want you to exaggerate. I don't want you to make me feel good. I need you to be honest. In fact, I've actually asked for people to give me criticism only negatively. I've asked people, don't butter me up. Don't say nice things about me. I want you to say something negative about me. I'm not asking you to do this. I'm saying I've done this in my life where I do something, I do a project. I just want the negative feedback so I can improve on the project. I don't want the positive feedback so I feel good about myself even though that's wonderful, and I might ask for it every now and then, but if I really want to improve myself, improve my life, I'm going to say I need constructive negative criticism. It's not negative, so to speak. It's constructive, but it feels negative. It's going to hurt. I I won't like it. You probably won't like it, but the more you seek it, the more you get used to hearing it, the more you um, allow yourself to be exposed to real opinions of people, And the more you get to hear other uh, varying opinions and hearing all the varying opinions, you start to realize, hey, not everyone's right. Hey, not everyone has good advice or good opinions. I've learned that too, is that some people will say, well, this is what you really need to do. And if that's the only negative or constructive criticism I've received, I might tend to believe them, at least in the past. But since I've reached out to so many people and say, I only want to hear the constructive criticism, I don't want to hear the positive aspects of what I'm working on, then I get to hear the truth. You want the truth. You really, it's hard when you're working on self-worth and self-esteem issues, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But when you get into a space where you feel good about yourself and you know that it takes unwelcome commentary in order to improve, you start welcoming it more. So that might take some time. That's not something that maybe you can do right away. But I do ask you to try to seek constructive criticism when you can because it can be more helpful than anything. Yes, it's great to have your self-esteem and your self-worth boosted, but you can do that at other times. I wouldn't do that at the same time necessarily. I mean, you can. There are benefits to it. Like They call it a a feedback sandwich where you say something positive, then you say something that they need uh, help with, then you say something positive again. That kind of feedback sandwich is good for some people and it's good for work environments. But when you're doing it for yourself, I prefer to go, you know what, just give me the negative stuff so I can work on it. (laughs) And it helps me um, assess what really is most important to work on. And again, you find out that not everyone's right, and you wouldn't have known this discernment had you not gathered as much uh, constructive criticism as you can. Hope that makes sense. Another thing I want you to do with humiliation, embarrassment, and anything like that is listen to a couple episodes I created. One of them is called Preventing and Eliminating Humiliation and Embarrassment. I cover it. I cover all of that in that episode. It's an older episode, so you have to go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and search for the word humiliation. I think it's one of the first thing that comes up. And also look for building self-worth and self-esteem while avoiding the ego trap. So that's that's another one. If you go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and you type in, I guess you can type in ego trap. I think that'll work. Uh, or self-worth or self-esteem. You're going to find that episode as well. 
in those episodes, you're going to hear me talk about humility, or at least the first one. And uh, humility is when you view yourself as having low self-worth, low value, and little importance. And if you walk around throughout your life with these feelings or beliefs, your life is a lot harder. I did that for a good 35 years of my life until I realized that everyone else was pulling the wool over my eyes. I thought I was alone in my insecurities. Like I was saying earlier, it turns out that most of us have insecurities that the rest of the world doesn't know about. And many of us know how to fake confidence, which makes the rest of us feel like we don't have what it takes. That guy's so confident. He walks around with his chest puffed out. And that woman, she can take on a whole boardroom and have no problem with it whatsoever. Yet they could be just faking their confidence to get through the situation. They could be powering through it. And we feel like we're small. We feel like we're insecure. We feel this and we feel that. And we see these other people doing these amazing things. We wish we were more like them. But very, very often, those people are feeling the same thing. They are just taking what I call leaps of faith. They're just going to feel the fear and do it anyway. They're going to step right into that fear and just make it happen. And then when they come out of it, they might have to shake it off. Because most of us feel the same thing. You are not alone. It reminds me of um, Donny Osmond. Him and his sister were, were a singing duo in, in the 70s and 80s. And probably even now, I don't know anymore. But he was an entertainer. And he once said that if he had a choice of walking out on stage or dying, he would have chosen death. He was so frightened of going on stage, even though that was his life. He did it from childhood. He went on stage. He entertained. That's all he ever did, or at least for most of his life. And he was frightened to death. He did not want to go on stage. He had so much anxiety around it. Yet when you watch him on TV, when you look him up, he looks so confident. So I look at somebody like that and go, well, if Donny Osmond feels insecure going on stage, then at least I don't feel so alone when I'm doing what I do. But I, I also work on this stuff. I introduce elements into my life that put me in situations that cause me to face these fears. This is, you know, you face the fear and you do it anyway. I put myself on stage when I'm afraid to go on stage. I put myself in front of people in purposefully selected embarrassing situations to push myself further, to get more comfortable being uncomfortable, to get more secure being insecure. Or that's probably not how it's put, but I become more secure with every little thing that I introduce to get over the hump, to get over the, the fear. And when you do that more and more and more, you end up desensitizing yourself and realizing, hey, I lived through that moment. Hey, I made it. Hey, people laughed, not at me, but with me. Hey, people laughed because they were nervous to see me in that situation because they were trying it on. They were empathetic. They were thinking that I would never do that to themselves. They were thinking, I would never do that. I can't believe he's up there. I remember uh, my girlfriend, she's like, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you went on stage. That wasn't even meant for you. And I said, what? And she said, when they called up the boyfriends and significant others, they meant of the, that was a reunion I went to, a singing reunion for her and her singing friends. They meant the, the men that have already been there before, that have already done it, that are still active in these groups. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know. <laughs> so I just went up there because this was an opportunity for me to face my fear or embarrassment or 
just put myself in a situation that could humiliate me. And why not? What's the worst case scenario? Someone laughs at me. Okay, what does that mean? Then we Now we drill down to the feeling. Well, if they laugh at me, that means they must not like me. If they don't like me, then I'm not accepted and I'm not loved. If I'm not loved, then I'm not part of a family. And if I'm not part of a family, we keep drilling down, we keep drilling down. Then I'm not in a relationship and I'm not in a home with people that love and support me. And eventually I go hungry and I die. I mean, it's just like we drill down into what we might have as primal fears that are driving our behaviors, yet what we do is we think that, oh, I just don't want to be embarrassed on stage. Oh, I don't want someone to judge me. But when we drill into the real reasons that we're not doing things or that we don't want to be embarrassed, we find out that there's some low-level, deep stuff really deep in there that when you get to a place of more fearlessness, when you get to a place of, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid to, I'll just say it, die. I'm not afraid to die. Then suddenly being embarrassed isn't a problem because you might drill down into this very low level primal fear that if no one loves me, I'll go hungry. And if I go hungry, I'll die. It's pretty wild. I've talked about drilling down before in other episodes, and it's a good questioning, self-questioning process that you can keep going in saying, okay, why am I embarrassed? How is that a problem? Well, it's a problem because of this. Yeah, but how is that a problem? Why is that such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because of this. Yeah, but if that happens, so what? Why is that a big deal? You keep drilling in, drilling in until you get to a place where you just can't go anymore. You can't go any further down. And you usually reveal something, an origin of why it's so embarrassing or so humiliating. And you can tell yourself, okay, big deal. So what if that happens? And I've come to that place of, well, so what if I die? Then what? And that created a shift in me. I'm kind of going off topic here, but the idea behind drilling into any feeling that you might have where you get to be okay with the origin of what's motivating you to feel that, it can actually neutralize and help you get through almost anything. We'll cover that again, and it's good to keep in mind. There's uh, three more things I want to share with you regarding humiliation and embarrassment. I'm going to share two of them with you, and then during the outro, I'm going to share the last one. It's kind of a walkthrough. But um, the next thing is I want you to try adopting a you're probably right attitude. And what I like about this is, is that it reminds me of Tai Chi. If you've been listening while well, you've heard me use this reference before. But in Tai Chi, when you're sparring or someone takes a punch at you, which isn't really Tai Chi, but Tai Chi is a, also a fighting art. But I've learned that when you use it as a defensive martial art, that when you're in a fight in Tai Chi, instead of blocking the punch, you can step to the side and allow the punch to flow right through. Not you, but flow right uh, past you. And when it flows past you, what it does is it expends all their energy. I mean, blocking will expend their energy too, but it expends yours too when you block. But what Tai Chi teaches is that the energy just continues past you and you expend hardly any just by some simple moves. Um, so that's the fighting aspect of Tai Chi. I know you're probably used to the slow movements in the park and stuff. But um, there's a lot you can learn as a defensive strategy in Tai Chi, but not only with fighting, but with also uh, communication, with, with talking to people. Because someone can say, you're a jerk, and you can become defensive and say, no, I'm not. 
That's a block. So when you block, you're expending energy with that. No, I'm not. And they're expending energy. And then the energy escalates and it amplifies. And pretty soon there's two resistant forces pushing against each other. But what would happen if somebody said, you're a jerk, and you said, eh, you're probably right. Even when I say it, I feel the energy release. It's going to be hard for some people to say this because they don't want to say that. They are proud. They are standing up for their principles, for their values, for who they are, which is fine. I wouldn't take that away from you. But there are some people that you can get into these conversations with or arguments with that it's pretty much useless to spend any time and energy on them. So why don't we just let them think they're right so they can go away? <laughs> that can happen. I've, I've used this technique. I call it the you're probably right attitude or technique. And what it does is allow their energy to continue flowing in a way where they have no more to use. They, they've got no more fuel for the fire. How do we fuel their fire? We block it. We resist it. How do we take away the fuel? We let them expend their energy. How do you do that? The person saying, you're a jerk, and you say, eh, you're probably right. I probably am a jerk. Where do you go from there? When somebody really wants you to fight back and say something back so that they can fuel their fire and continue putting you down or whatever, it's hard to come up with the next thing. It doesn't mean they won't say, well, see, I knew I was right. Ha, ha, ha. That might be who they are. But still, where, where do they go from there? Well, you're a bigger jerk, they might say. You're a real jerk. You're, a, you're the biggest jerk in the world. Oh, well, you're probably right. It's hard to go anywhere. Their energy has been spent. It, it didn't land. It just went by you. So I really appreciate that. And you can use that when you're in some sort of humiliating or embarrassing situation where they say, you know, you should have done this and I can't believe you did it this way. You can go, you know, you're probably right. I'll work on it again. I'll do something different. Well, you, you better or it's your job. Okay, you got it. No problem. I'll take care of it. Instead of saying, well, I, I tried. I, I did the best I could. I, you know, what's the resistance? I like to look at things in matter of uh, resistance versus flow. What can I do to resist this or what can I do to make this flow through? The flow is the other person wants to feel good about themselves, maybe. The flow is that that person wants to make something land, wants to be seen as the person with the answers, whatever it is. What is so you have to define that in the moment. What is their flow? Their flow is they want to make me feel bad. Hey, you're probably right. Okay, I'll, I'll work on that. Now, I'm not going to say I feel bad. I'm not going to say, hey, that makes me feel bad. I might. Hey, what you're saying is very disrespectful. I mean, it depends if they're disrespectful. There's That's a whole other level of talk. I mean, listen to my show on personal boundaries, or maybe we'll have another episode on personal boundaries. But uh, certainly, when someone violates your values, violates your boundaries, you have every right to say, hey, look, when you say that, that really hurts my feelings, or that feels very disrespectful. Or, hey, can we talk about this in your office? Can we talk about this behind closed doors? Because I don't feel like you value me as a person by trying to publicly shame me. I mean, that might be some of the stuff that I say. <laughs> but I've learned to access that part of me and use those resources inside of me and use those tools. And I definitely want you to be there too. But some conversations aren't worth having. Some conversations you just want to end and you just want to allow them to expend their energy so you can get on with your day. 
And sometimes it's just best to, instead of taking any constructive criticism and instead of trying to get through it so that you feel better about yourself, is just to figure out a way to let their energy flow in that direction. Hey, you're probably right. All right and then go on. doesn't mean I want you to stay that way. These, these are just situational. These are just circumstantial. When events or interactions come up where you just want to make it through and not have to deal with it, uh, that, that could be a good strategy. But if it's repetitive, like Karen who wrote this email and said, you know, this happens at work and I'm publicly humiliated. If that's repetitive, it's, it might be time to stand up and say, hey, look, I don't appreciate being publicly humiliated. I prefer if you're going to say something to do it behind closed doors. That might light their fire. They may be so angry that you said that, or they may go, oh, uh, uh, okay, let's do that. You're, you're right. That would be a great response. That would be something wonderful. So if that's the case, if you're getting somebody doing this repetitively, it's time to stand up for something greater than keeping your job. It's time to stand up for something greater inside of you because you're worth it. So when I give you these tips and tricks and techniques, don't let it override your self-worth. Don't let it override you deserving better treatment. It's not about that. Sometimes you just want to get through a moment. Sometimes you just want to get through an interaction. And uh, these are some of the ways you can do it. I was going to give you one more before we concluded here, but I don't actually have one more. Um, I already talked about it. It was about the drilling down. I didn't realize I wrote it down and I already talked about it. So we're going <laughs> to just consider that a little bonus in between. The, the already, already talked about drilling down. Drilling down is a questioning technique that allows you to keep drilling into what you feel, even if it's obvious. So when somebody says, why did you feel embarrassed by that situation? You might answer, well, wouldn't you feel embarrassed instead of actually addressing the embarrassment inside of you? And it's so important to address any feeling that you're having inside of you by doing what I like to call drilling down. So it might mean like, okay, why do you feel embarrassed? Well, I feel embarrassed because uh, people are watching me. Well, why is that embarrassing? And instead of saying, well, isn't it obvious? Or wouldn't you feel that way? Don't answer like that. You really have to continue being inquisitive with yourself. Why is that embarrassing? If somebody watches me, well, they're judging me. Well, how is that a problem? Why is that embarrassing? Why does that make you feel bad or whatever it makes you feel? And again, instead of saying, well, wouldn't it make anyone feel bad? You have to answer the question. Well, it makes me feel bad because if they judge me, then uh, I might take it as they don't like me. Well, how is that a problem? Why is that a big deal? Well, if they don't like me, then you know they might fire me or they may, they may not give me a ride to work, you know, whatever. And you keep drilling down into the deepest part that you end up at. You just can't give yourself an escape and say, well, anyone would feel that way. Don't give yourself that escape. You keep drilling until you just can't go any further. You really want to figure out what's going on inside of you. That's that's a very, very effective way that I often use to get uh, to the heart of some of the emotions that I experience. So we'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and my goodbyes and then I'm going to walk you through. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Risa S. for their amazing review in iTunes. Risa gave five stars. Thank you so much, Risa. And I heard from um, 
well, who was it? iTunes reviewer Mark, what up, homie? He said, you know, I wasn't blowing smoke. That's all true. You've done so much for me. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for that for clearing that up. I think it was last week or the week before where I said, you know, this all sounds like you're blowing smoke. And uh, I don't know, are you making this stuff up? And he goes, no, it's all true. So <laughs> thank you, Mark. What up, homie? And uh, I appreciate you. And thank you to anyone who leaves a review for the Overwhelmed Brain book or for the podcast and for sharing it around the world with people that you love and some people that you don't love. And uh, for letting people know about the show, that's how we continue going and growing. And of course, if you're a member of the patron program, that's another way we continue going and growing. I want to thank everyone that uh, joined the patron program and continues to give to help this show out. It is something that I want to put out there and continue putting out there. And the patron supporters are probably the biggest reason it continues because you help pay for everything that goes on over here. So I appreciate you. If you are getting value from this show, visit patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. There's a way to get in as a monthly supporter and get all the private episodes and workbooks that I put in there and everything else that's in the patron program. And um, also there's a one-time donation if you just want to give and run, (laughs) which is fine. I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. And we are getting so close to releasing, talking about social anxiety earlier, releasing the SAFE program, the SAFE Empowerment System for Social Anxiety. I want you to visit quietbegins.com. If you are experiencing or do experience social anxiety and you're looking for a, a way out, a way through it, a way so that you don't have to experience it anymore. I'm not saying this is a cure-all. I don't know yet. It hasn't been released. I'm looking for some feedback when it is. Um, But it is a system that is designed for you to be able to play these uh, what I call learning pods and emergency pods that when you're starting to experience social anxiety, the emergency pod, which is like one to five minutes long, will be able to walk you through and hopefully out of it. It starts rewiring your brain every time you listen to it so that you don't have to experience social anxiety anymore. Social anxiety is a pretty deep issue for a lot of people. And I'm creating something with the help of many experts to get this in your hands so that you can start experiencing a better life and more a happier life, an anxiety-free life. That's my goal. Will I accomplish it? You'll have to tell me. You'll have to let me know how it goes. Theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash safe. If you go there, you'll actually find an audio preview of what's to come. So if you're not sure if this is what you want or not, at least you can listen to like, I think it's a seven minute preview of a few different aspects of it, go to quietbegins.com. It used to be theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash safe, but I've forwarded that to quietbegins. That's two word, quietbegins.com. Check it out. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And the very last little technique that I use sometimes and I sometimes help my clients with and there's also a walkthrough on the in the patron program on this as well, is visiting that inner child. I know it sounds so psychobabble, but I'm going to use it because it's very helpful. Visiting that inner child, meaning when you're in an embarrassing situation, when you're humiliated, when you feel really emotionally beat up or whatever you're feeling, there's a time and place that you learned to feel that. You were a child once and you probably felt 
embarrassed, humiliated, frightened, uh, sad, something that puts you in an emotional state that you carried with you into your adult world and it no longer was of any use to you. Like feeling embarrassed or humiliated is probably in a lot of cases not useful. It's pretty hard to get through your day if you get embarrassed or humiliated when someone talks down to you. Because what happens to you? What happens to your body? Like Karen said earlier, I get anxious and the, the rest of my day is ruined. So that's not a useful feeling. That's not useful at all. So what we need to do, or at least one technique, is to go back in time to when we felt that way uh, when we were younger. It doesn't always have to be childhood, but it usually is. But you just think of the very first time you felt that same way. And since we're talking about embarrassment and humiliation, when was the first time you ever felt embarrassed or humiliated? Or when was the strongest embarrassment and humiliation that you ever felt? And go back to that time right now. This is when you want to visit yourself in the past. And you're visiting yourself as who you are today. So when I think of something embarrassing or humiliating, I see myself as like a 10-year-old with this bold haircut and very bright blonde hair, and I can see him in front of me. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to see the younger version of yourself in front of you. And when you see this younger version of yourself, right after the moment, right after something happened where they felt embarrassed or humiliated or whatever feeling that you want to work on. This episode's about embarrassment and humiliation, so I'm kind of focused on that, but whatever you want to work on. So when you see this younger version of yourself, what does this younger version of yourself need? What do they need in this moment? You know, when I think about what my younger self needs, I just want to hug him. I just want to say, look, the adults in your life may not be able to do what you need them to do, but I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I will help you through this. I know what you're going through. I've been there. It makes that little child inside me feel like they're not alone. And it also gives me connection to who I used to be. And when I have that connection, it allows me to ground myself a little bit and really start to heal what might still be present today. So you give yourself what you needed back then that you didn't get. And no matter what happens, I mean, I've had people say, well, my inner child doesn't want to hug. My inner child doesn't want to talk to me. You give that child anything he or she needs. Give that child whatever they need. If they don't want to hug, then they need someone who doesn't want to hug them. I know it sounds a little strange, but maybe they have some sort of reaction to hugs. Maybe hugs was a negative thing for them. If they want to hug, great. If they want to talk, great. If they don't want to talk, maybe that's what they need. They don't need talking. They want someone who doesn't want to talk to them. Maybe just being there. Well, what if they don't want me around at all? What if they're afraid of me? Then you keep your distance. But you let them know that you're there for them. You're there. See, I want you to be able to do this anytime you need it. Anytime you have a feeling that you don't want today, it started in the past. And when you can reconnect with yourself in that event, at that time, and be there for yourself when maybe somebody else couldn't be there or wouldn't be there, you start reparenting yourself. You start taking care of yourself. You start nurturing and healing yourself from an early age 
where it can affect the rest of your life. So hopefully you're not driving while you're doing this, but if you are, this is a good visualization to do when you're alone, when you just can take the time to do it and really reconnect. So if you have anything lingering inside of you, if you have any emotional triggers that come up, what is the emotion that you're feeling? What is that? Is it anger? Is it embarrassment? What kind of upset is it? And when you learn what upset that is, you just ask yourself, when is the first time I ever experienced that? Or when is the strongest time? That's a good one too. But I like to get back to the very first time so that you can visit yourself back then and say, hey, I'm here. You almost always know what they need and it can be very helpful. And even if you think this is kind of weird or it's not going to work, you have to remember that the brain organizes things in a way that uh, is sometimes very sequential and sometimes very linear and sometimes very associative and what's always associative like the every memory is associated with another memory which is associated with a feeling which is associated with an emotion which is associated on and on and on all these associations your brain is a network of associations and what happens is when you connect with a memory in your past where there is some sort of pain or upset or hurt you are connecting with a part of yourself that needs healing that's why this can be a very powerful exercise that when you visit this person in your past you that you connect with them at the moment that the hurt or upset started and boy when you do that and you start healing it even though it's all in your mind your brain starts the process of healing and can sometimes get you in a space of completely overcoming what happened back then to the point where you are no longer triggered Maybe to the point where you're no longer embarrassed. Maybe to the point where you can't even feel bad about certain things anymore. Wouldn't that be nice? So the idea is just to give yourself what you needed back then. And then, you know, give yourself time and visit that person whenever you think you need to. I like to visit my inner child every now and then just to check on him, just to say hi. (laughs) Again, it sounds strange. And I know I'm just visiting another part of my brain that has stored Uh, memories, stored feelings, stored emotions, but it's reassuring to me. It almost creates a loop of comfort inside of me. I loop back to the past and I loop forward to the future or the present and I keep that cycle going, uh, not all the time, but every now and then, just to make sure that uh, things are going well. It can be helpful. I hope it's helpful for you. And no matter what you do, just always keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. This will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.